Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 40, titled Daytona Slingshot Week, Hashtag Ride It Out, and The Quest to Find a Helmet That Fits Properly. In this episode, I share the experience that Gina and I had attending Daytona Bike Week right before the you-know-what hit the fan regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. We originally had plans to see the Daytona 200 and American Flat Track TT doubleheader races that weekend at Daytona International Speedway, but for obvious reasons, those plans did not quite pan out. So we made the best of the situation, had a great trip anyway, and got to experience something we otherwise would not have. I also talk about meeting Todd McNabney from Heroic Racing Apparel in person and buying a pair of former race boots from him at a great price. I also discuss the hashtag Ride It Out campaign that some people are backing and my own approach to motorcycle riding in these challenging times. Finally, I spend some time discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart and one that a couple months ago took up quite a bit of my time, and that was my quest to find a helmet that fits properly. I have written a blog article about my experience discovering that the helmets I already owned did not fit properly and how I set about getting a new helmet with a proper fit. That article will be released on my website soon and will probably be the transcript for an upcoming podcast episode on the same topic. This episode is being recorded and published on Saturday, April 18th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member G4, Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patilla and Jerry Vavaro, and V-Twin Club members Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios LLC, and Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School. Gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for your support. If you would like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content, please stay tuned to the end of this episode or check out the podcast supporters link on my website. Well, hello, everyone. It seems it's been a minute since I released the last episode of the podcast. Actually, it goes back to episode 39, Getting on Track with Heroic Racing Apparel, which I released about five and a half weeks ago. So it's kind of funny how that happens. It's somewhat because of what's going on with uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, but not really. It's, it's honestly just been a little bit weird. I've kind of just gotten out of my regular routine. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, just because of what's going on with the pandemic. And so I'm just kind of lost my rhythm. And so I haven't been able to get the podcast out on a weekly, weekly basis. But so I did want I did want to get this one out. And uh, I do want to keep, you know, keep getting content out there. So um, 
Yeah, so one interesting thing about that episode, actually, I uh, I met Todd Todd McNab McNabney, who's the owner of Heroic Racing Apparel today. I went over to his shop. Uh, it's about 20, 25 minute ride uh, car ride from my house. Didn't actually, I was thinking of riding the bike, and I'll get into that a little bit later with the uh, you know ride it out uh, hashtag and then kind of a theme that people have been promoting. But uh, anyway, the, the weather's a little kind of not not so good today, so it was like drizzly and stuff. So wasn't really up for getting the bike out. But uh, I did go over and met him in person at the shop, and I bought a pair of boots, race boots, which I will talk about more later in the episode. Um, so yeah, so I feel a little bit rusty with this whole podcasting thing, which kind of reminds me, I guess, of what it can be like motorcycle riding. You know, it's like you don't you don't get out on the bike for a while, and then you finally get a chance to ride. I, I know, like Larry Larry Lanes from Throttle Podcast has talked about this. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons, like Fast Eddie from Moto Jitsu, you know, makes a point of you know whenever he gets out on the bike, and he ride he rides pretty much all the time. But like one of the first things he'll do is just go out and you know just warm up a little bit, maybe find a parking lot or just out in the street, just do some maneuvers and things, just to kind of loose, loosen loosen things up, loosen the body up, and I, I guess just kind of you know waken the muscle memory and just trying to remind yourself of what it is like to ride so anyway it is definitely something to keep in mind um and i know a lot of people especially because some people take a break from riding during the the kind of quote-unquote off season or the colder weather uh, a lot of people recommend you know when the season starts up do a refresher course you know uh do an msf course total control something you know either repeat a course that you've done in the past or or do the next level of training just to to keep your skills fresh because uh as as we know it is important you know riding a motorcycle can be a little bit tricky and a little bit dangerous so uh yeah it definitely makes sense to keep your skills sharp so anyway i'm trying to feel my way back to this podcasting thing so i can get the content out on a more regular basis um I hope this one is not too rough. I don't have a big outline right, you know, in front of me right now. I'm going to kind of do this as I go. And one of the reasons is I just wanted to get a podcast together and out and not have excuses about, well, I need an outline and I need all this kind of stuff. But I kind of been actually thinking for the past bunch of weeks, you know, some of the things I want to talk about. So it's right in my head and uh, I'm just going to kind of go step by step. So on the news front, I'd like to announce uh, two new supporters of the podcast. So it's always cool when someone comes on as a financial contributor. It's always greatly, greatly appreciated. So first, I wanted to announce uh, Aaron at The Motorcycle Rider. So Aaron's got a blog. Um, so you can find him at The Motorcycle Rider, I believe, is his Instagram handle. He is now a member of the Triple Club. And in his in email to me, uh, Aaron wrote, I'm a fan of riding anything with two wheels. I'm a moto traveler, an amateur racer, track day enthusiast, gear advocate, and professional wrench. I'm glad to support Chris and his message on this podcast, and I've enjoyed that I've enjoyed listening to. So, Aaron, thank you very much for the uh, the kind words. I really appreciate it. Uh, just for everyone who is out there, in particular, maybe out in the Ohio area, Aaron owns his own motorcycle shop in Hamilton, Ohio, which is Apex Cycle and Salvage. He specializes in KTM's, but services other European and Japanese brands as well. So um, you can definitely go check out the podcast supporters page on my website. It's just so you want to ride a motorcycle dot com slash supporters. And you'll find his information and links there. And also they'll be in the uh, podcast notes for the episode. Uh, also, I wanted to announce John Del Vecchio from Street Skills Moto, who uh, many of you probably know him from his Cornering Confidence book and course. He recently came on as a supporter at the uh, V4 Club level. So uh, just uh, John's bio here that he sent me, just so you know a little bit about him if you're not familiar with his work yet. 
John began riding shortly after starting a family, not the typical stage in a person's life to jump on a motorcycle. The obvious need for self-preservation fueled skill development and eventual eventual MSF coaching certification. After years of riding twisties with friends, he was hooked on sport riding and began studying more advanced techniques. John shares his experience with fellow riders so they too can have more confidence and enjoyment in the curves. Be it road trips with his friends or teaching street skills courses, John's happy to ride every chance he can. Uh, So something I'd like to take an opportunity to announce here uh, so you can find John's book and online courses using the links. I mean, you can search them on Google. It'll come up easily, but you can go to the podcast supporters page and you'll find the links there under his bio entry. Um, but you know, definitely if, you, if you're interested in doing one of John's courses, he's got online courses based on his book. Uh, please use the affiliate links that are on my podcast supporters page as 20% of the purchase price that you pay. You won't pay anything more, but uh if you, if you go through the affiliate link that's on my website, 20% of the purchase price, John will send over to the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast, uh, which obviously will help me in what I'm trying to do with the growing and expanding the podcast and my Facebook presence and uh, help bring more people into the sport of motorcycling. So, uh, John, thank you for partnering up with me on that. Uh, that's really, really cool. I really appreciate it. And uh, also, yeah, I know I've mentioned on past episodes, John's book and course, uh, I finally did finish uh finish reading total control by lee parks that was one of the things i kind of like to try to do one thing at a time i don't want to be like in the middle of a bunch of different books um but i did finish lee's book um i know i've been talking about having him on the show so hopefully i will hook that hook that up sometime in the uh not too distant future uh but so i did start uh on john's materials i have not cracked open the book yet um, but I did start the online course um, in about chapter five or thereabouts. And uh, actually, John is going to be a guest on the show this coming Wednesday. So we'll be talking uh, more about his writing experience, his coaching experience, you know, how he came to write the book and develop the course. And uh, you kind of I thought it'd be kind of cool because, you know, talking with the guy who put it all together uh, as someone using his course material in the book. You know, it's just an opportunity to um kind of sit with him like okay so how do i best approach this thing what does he recommend in terms of uh using these materials to improve my writing skills so john really really cool looking forward to having you on the show um and uh john actually had sent me a copy of his book uh and and a a free a link to do the course for free some some months ago finally i'm getting around to doing that just um yeah so that's kind of a nice added perk is john was like hey i love what you're doing with the podcast so just as a show of appreciation he just offered you know me the opportunity to do the course for free and sent me a copy of the book which is really really cool so uh yeah i I, uh anyway just want to let everyone know so um yeah, like I always try to be transparent. So uh, I'm, I'm not just promoting his stuff because he, you know, he gave me the uh, the book and the course for free. Um, but uh, I really, I really like what he's doing, and it's, it's good. It's given me an opportunity to to study up on his material. So uh, John, looking forward to next week. I'm also excited to announce that I have a new listener in New Zealand. So I wanted to give a shout out to Mark Fossati. Mark, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If not, uh, definitely send me the correct pronunciation. I'll correct it on the next episode. Um, But uh, Mark recently found my podcast and uh, he just he just sent me a a note via my podcast. my website. So I just wanted to, to read that. He said, Hi, Chris, just came across your podcast with Dave Moss and was blown away with the amount of advice that was given on suspension setup, tires, pressures, and ergo setup. 
I really took a lot out of that podcast and look forward to putting those tips into action. I unfortunately missed an opportunity here in New Zealand where Dave was helping riders with bike setups, but look forward to hopefully bumping into him in the future. Great questions and answers all around. I'm also amazed at the amount of content that was in the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed it and will certainly go back and start listening from episode one. Really glad to have stumbled across your channel. Great work and good luck with the channel. So, Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to write in. Uh, that's really great, greatly, greatly appreciated. And especially thank you for being a listener. Um, if you want to take the time and uh, shoot me shoot me another email or just uh, you know submit a submit the information on the, the link on the website, uh, let me know about your background and experience, uh, what you're writing, and I'll be happy to share that with the listeners. If if you uh, if you want to do that, that'd be really cool. So uh, yeah, so Mark, thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the other episodes. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the track boots that I bought today. So anyone who you know listens to my podcast and has uh, listened to prior episodes knows that uh, I'm really uh, jonesing to get on the track. Uh, you know, I just want to start out track days. I'm going to do California Superbike School. But uh, yeah, so let me even talk about that a little bit and, and kind of the reasoning, like what my thinking is on this thing. And I, I've probably mentioned it in past episodes, but in case you just, this is the first episode you're listening to, it kind of bears repeating, I guess. So I think here's my basic thought. And, and like I said, I you know, I met Todd McNabney in person today over at his shop, Heroic Racing Apparel. And uh, we're just talking a little bit about riding. And he's like, you know, what's, what's your plans on track days and whatever? And just reflecting on it. So the thing is, it's really this what I said to him is it's like, you know, I love riding. I've been riding a couple of years now. I've got about 10,000 miles under my belt. You know, I, I've ridden a bunch of different bikes. I've got the Vulcan S and the Z900 RS. But, you know, I've ridden Yamahas and other Kawasaki's and Harleys and, and the whole thing. And I just find myself like when I'm out riding, like really itching to, uh, yeah, well, sometimes you, you, sometimes you want to twist the throttle. That's kind of part of it, but it's, it's more than that. It's like, you know, being in an area, it doesn't even have to be twisties, but you know, there's some roads, even on Long Island, some beautiful roads have these nice, nice turns and bends and whatever. And, uh, it's just like, you know, just, I don't know, maybe this is a thing with motorcyclists. It's just like coming up to a, a turn in the road or whatever and just really wanting to lean the bike over and really just see, you know, how fast can you take this turn and how well can you execute it? And, you know, every time you go through, if it's a, a road that's nearby that I ride frequently, you know, how, how to... How to, how to, you know, what different lines can I take through the curve and, you know, what lines better and what gives you the best exit speed and all that kind of stuff. And the point is, it's like, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I never, I always try to be intelligent when I'm riding. I don't like push it, you know, I try not to ever ride more than, I don't know, seven or eight tenths when I'm on the street. But the thing is, it's, it's just not the place for it on the street, right? There's just not only for your own preservation, but even just for other people, you know, it's like, I would not want to be in a situation where I did something dumb or overcooked the turn or whatever and, you know, crashed and whatever, you know, damaged someone else's property, run off onto their lawn, you know, collide with a vehicle, have to involve emergency personnel, have to take a ride to the hospital. It's just, it's just not, whatever, it's just not, not, not my way of thinking, right? So it's like, all right, so to me, the place to do that is on the track. Uh, and, and that's why I'm interested in doing track days. And it's not even so much I'm super focused on going fast, although, you know, I do enjoy the speed when, when I do it. Um, it's not so much about that. It's not, at least right now for me, it's not about, you know, what's the best 
what's the best lap time I can get or, you know, how can I really hang it on the ragged edge? It's just more about being able to get on, you know, a roadway. It's the track's not a roadway, but, you know, a closed course where the traffic goes in a single direction and there's much more predictability about what's going on. And you're generally riding with people who know what they're doing, who are motorcyclists themselves, obviously. And so you're not dealing with, you know, people driving cars who don't even see motorcycles or anything like that. And I just want to be able to just get out on the pavement and just focus on the bike and my riding and not have to worry about anything else. You know, it's like, is a dog or a cat going to run out into the road? Is a vehicle going to cross the yellow line coming from the other direction? Is there going to be a pothole or sand or like whatever, right? And obviously there's hazards on a track. Like you can't, you know, a track is not a 100% safe environment, but it is geared for, it's geared for riding, you know, and it's geared for racing or whatever. So, so that's my goal with the whole thing is just wanting to experience that, you know, just being able to focus on the riding and my technique and, and just like really enjoying that. So along with that, I do believe in gear, aside from the fact that you know, if you do track days at a certain level, there's a certain requirement as far as the quality of gear, the protection level that you have to have. But so, you know, I decided it was time to up my gear and I've talked in past episodes. So, you know, I now have a pair of heroic uh, SPR Pro race gloves, um, which is super, super adequate for protecting me on the track, doing track days. You know, they are race quality gloves. I've got my Arai helmet. Um, you know, it is not a race helmet per se. It's the, I think I've mentioned, it's the uh, Signet X. It's basically a step below their quote unquote race helmet, which is the, uh, and the name is escaping me right now. Hold on, I'm going to look it up. And of course, as I was typing in the URL for the Arai website, I remembered it's the Corsair X. Um, that's basically, it's their top level helmet. And it's interesting because Arai has this expression. Um, I forget how it goes exactly, but it's it's basically, uh, I don't know, built to race or something like that. I forget the exact wording, but the basic idea is like they, they don't have other helmets that they designed for the racetrack. Like the Corsair X is their helmet. Like, you know, when, when you see a racer, whoever it is, whether it's MotoGP, Moto America, world superbike wearing an Arai helmet a Corsair X like that's the same helmet you can buy from Arai and that's probably true with other manufacturers too Shoei and whatever um you know but basically that that's it like that's the top level that's what the the top motorcycle riders are are wearing um so at any rate so um Signet X is you know in terms of price and features maybe a little step below but in terms of protection and whatnot it's basically the same as the Corsair X so the the piece that was missing in the formula or the, you know, the, the, the whole kit for me getting on the track was boots. And I've mentioned that, um, at least initially, I had toyed with the idea of buying a leather race suit. And I, I may still do that this year. But I was like, you know what? I haven't even gotten on the track yet. I don't want to go spending tons and tons of money until I really know this is something I'm going to do on a regular basis. You know, I figured helmet, gloves, boots, you know, those are things that I can wear on the street. And so I've been trying to choose items and colors and whatever, you know, that would be suitable for street riding as well. So it's kind of like I get the best of both worlds. So I have my own gear. If, you know, when I go to California Superbike School or I go for a track day, I don't have to worry about borrowing, renting gear. I think it's more hygienic, especially now, right? With especially now with this, you know, coronavirus stuff and all that kind of having to disinfect things and whatever. Yeah, it's just to me, it's just more hygienic. You know, this is stuff that you sweat in, you know, you're out on the track and it's usually summertime and it's hot and you're 
sweating and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, let me have my own personal gear. Uh, and then I don't have to worry about borrowing and do they have the right size and something that fits right and something that I like. And, you know, I get the benefit of the better protection on the street. So it was time for the boots. And, uh, you know, I was kind of been shopping around a little bit and watching reviews and whatever. And it's just kind of like buying a motorcycle or other kinds of gear. There's just so many choices. There's so many manufacturers. And every manufacturer has all different models, you know, different price levels and price points and, you know, different um, functionality and whatever. And it, it could be a whole big confusion, right? So eventually you got to kind of start someplace and make a choice. So, you know, this is my first, first pair of track boots. So I'm like, all right. So I kind of did the, the usual, I guess what a lot of people do, um, sport, sport bike track gear. Um, he's got a bunch of good videos on his website. Um, he's got some like review videos and I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes, um, back from 2017. But one of them is like, uh, I forget the exact titles, but something like, uh, you know, a review of, you know, like, track boots and then he had another one which is a review of like premium boots you know street riding and track boots uh really good you know and still yeah they're three years old now but um still you know a a lot of those boots are are still on the market so still still relevant and uh you know checked out some stuff on revzilla um i did find their videos by uh, ryan fortnine i didn't i didn't watch those yet but uh anyway i i did know that heroic racing apparel carries former boots you know former usa and so I kind of had my eyes on those. Anyway, so kind of long story short, I was like, I've mentioned in a prior episode that one of my goals with gear, especially with the helmet, and I still will, I will do this episode eventually on helmet fit, uh, but the importance of having gear that fits you properly, especially for performance riding, like riding on the track. And uh, after kind of going through the whole thing with, with the helmet and you know, what it took for me to find a helmet that fit properly, I was like, you know, to me with boots, it's not as critical, but you know, I want to get boots that fit properly. And so I just want to avoid, I mean, yes, for sure. You know, you can order from the websites and, you know, if you get it wrong and they don't fit right, you can return them, but it's all this back and forth and you know, shipping and all that kind of stuff. And maybe I'm just too lazy, but I prefer not to go that route. It's like, I'd rather kind of go someplace where I could sit down, try on the boots, see what's the right fit, what I like and don't like, you know, and make a selection that way. And so even if that means, cause I'm buying locally from a retailer, I have to pay a little bit more. That's fine to me. It's just, kind of you know it's just the price of getting the benefit of of knowing i'm getting a good fit um there's like local cycle gear close by me that i do get a lot of gear from but uh they don't have very much at all in the way of boot selection so that wasn't really an option um at one point i was thinking dionese boots you know there is a store in new york city uh which is which is a nice store but anyway whatever so i guess the where i'm going with this whole thing is i saw that that forma um is having a sale uh, on some some models of their boots or some color combinations for a mo- the, the race model of their boots. So I was like, all right, well, you know, Todd's not that far from me. He's like 25-minute ride. He he's carries those boots. They're on sale. So, hey, if these are good boots, let me, maybe this is a way to go. So, uh, you know, I did, did a little research. I uh, found the uh, couple the videos that were on Sport Bike Track Gear by Brian Van, really helpful. Um, he, you know, he had the former boots in one of his lineup videos and then also did a separate video on the, uh, the former ice pro, which is the one that I bought. Um, you know, I mean, this, like I said, there's lots of good boots out there, whether it's Alpine stars, Dionese, um, Oh, what the heck is the other one? Uh, hold on one second. Yeah. TCX. Um, 
So anyway, so there's lots of good gear out there, right? And so like anything, you know, you have to do your research and see, you know, what 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 suits you the best in terms of features and, you know, price to value and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so, you know, I, I watched uh, some of Brian Van's videos and you know, he reviewed the the uh, the Forma Ice Pro boot. It was either Ice Pro or the Ice Pro Flow. The difference is the flow is perforated material, right? So you get more airflow in the boot. But basically his conclusion was, you know, hey, Forma is not as well-known a name. I mean, they've been around for many, many years, but it's just not as well-known a name as some of the others, Dionese and Alpenstars and whatever. And so you tend to get more boot for the dollar because they, they can't charge the premium of the brand recognition or whatever. And so he said that basically this boot, it's like a $400 boot, even though you're paying, I think it's $340 retail or something. So anyway, so then I saw that, uh, actually, I saw it first through Heroic because, uh, again, they carry Forma boots. But Forma is having a promotional sale on their boots. You know, it sounds like, and, and Todd and I were talking, yeah, I guess they have certain color combinations and things that either they're phasing out as they're coming out with the new, you know, the new stuff for the new season or whatever. It's not selling well. But anyway, so they're trying to clear inventory. But so, um, yeah, so this boot, which is normally, in fact, hang on, let me give you some prices here. So I'm actually looking at the HeroicRacing.com website here. And if you happen to be interested in these boots, I mean, you can find them listed in other places. But uh, if, if you want to see the best prices I've seen so far, go check out his website. Um, Revzilla.com. And I, well, I know Revzilla.com carries them. Sport Bike Track Gear, STG.com carries the formal boots. Maybe Cycle Gear does. Um, and some of these discounted prices even show up on the uh the former website but uh todd's website is the only one where i've seen like all, all of these discounted prices so at any rate so like i said it's the, the two boat the sorry the two boots right so the ice pro flow which is the one with the perforated material and i'm not sure if it's all leather so i don't want to say perforated leather but there's at least some leather in the boots um Normal price is three thirty nine. That's for like standard colors, like white or black. Um, then, if you get into some of the fancy schemes, like the Danilo Petrucci race replica, like the race replica uh, boots, you know, color schemes, uh, then the boots are normally three seventy nine for the flows. But the ones that are kind of on clearance, being sold out. Um, let me just check here, right? So, the the ones like, for example. The Mike DiMeglio race replica, which I guess is last year's boot, instead of a list price of three seventy nine, is two forty four. So you're saving one hundred and thirty five dollars. There's a couple other examples like that. Like there's also a Carol Abraham two thousand nineteen race replica, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then in the standard colors on the flow, um, you know, like not not the kind of race replica boots, but the standard colors, um, you could get the flow for. Uh, duh, duh, duh. Let me see. Actually, I I guess, yeah. So maybe the standard colors and the ice pro flow is not not on clearance right now. But th those go for three thirty nine. Um, then you've got the ice pro, right? Which is the non perforated version. Um, let me just see if the I guess all of the. Well, no. So here's an example. Like, so this is a red and white one. Uh, so again, normally the Ice Pro would be three thirty nine, but it's on sale for two ninety nine. Uh, but anyway, what caught my attention is some of them, and it's the 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 Ice Pro, but the one that I ended up buying is the neon yellow, 
which normally is 339 on sale for 209 right so it's a savings of 130 bucks so i was like wow so basically you know so stg says this is basically the, the quality of a 400 dollars boot if i can get this for like 200 bucks that's a pretty good deal so now and and this is i'm interested to get people's feedback on this right because th- this gets into an interesting thing so i i am far from a fashion bug right um you know, I, I if when I dress, I like to dress nice. I do like things to look nice, but I'm not a person to keep up on fashion trends and what's going on with hairstyles and clothing for guys and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, certainly when you have a motorcycle, there's a certain amount of style and look that goes with it. You know, and I do try to avoid doing things that look crazy or ridiculous, but I'm not all super hung up on that either. Um, so anyway, it's, it's kind of like going back and forth on this. It's like, well... I could get these boots, you know, you know the the black the black boots version, the Ice Pro without the perforation, for three forty. Um, you know, it's like not that much more. It's like do I really? But I'm like I don't know. Like saving one hundred forty bucks is not nothing, right? So I was like, all right. So so let me go with these black ones with the neon yellow. Um, I think I think they'll look decent. We'll see if I'm right. I think they'll look decent with my bikes. You know, they're they're orange bikes but i kind of think it'll go and when i looked at all the other boots on the website that have deep discounts i was like all right of the choices i have i think this one goes the best one with the appearance of my motorcycles uh and then two is the kind of boot that i would wear like on the street because getting back to what i was saying before it's like you know i want stuff that's really good for the track i mean these are like race boots and if you listen to the stg uh, video you know he says like like this is a boot you could race in for moto america and uh you know if you go to forma's website they they say that you know there there are i don't know currently but there have been moto gp riders who've worn these boots and there has been input from moto gp riders on the design of these boots so like this is a serious boot right so this is serious serious protection which is what i'm looking for and okay i can also wear it on the street which do i need that level of protection maybe not but it's, it's definitely not going to hurt so again when i was looking at, at which which ones to buy i was trying to strike a balance between okay something that's really going to be good protection on the track when i do that but that's also you know that i will use on the street and that's comfortable enough i was a little concerned about these because again the stg video he mentioned this is not a boot you know this is not a this is a race boot this is not a boot for you know street riding and sometimes track days so it's not necessarily the most comfortable, but I spent a fair amount of time walking around and I was like, wow, I think I could, you know, whatever. If I, if I use these boots for a weekend trip or something, I think I could see walking around in them. Um, the only the only kind of downside, and it's not that big a deal, but because of the level of protection uh, for the shin and just around the back of the calf, the top of the boots are pretty wide. You know, they, they you know, you can dial the size in and out you know for your calf size that's not a problem but there's there's enough material there that like the regular jeans that i wear riding on the street will not fit over the boot so it's like okay either i tuck them inside the boot or like todd recommended you know just get boot cut jeans or you know i have riding pants or whatever so that's not really an issue but so it's kind of like all right fine so tuck the jeans in and then i've got you know, black and neon yellow with my orange motorcycle. So I don't know, maybe I'll post some pictures. We'll see. We'll see how that combination looks. He didn't have this color combo in stock. So, uh, you know, I, I ordered at the, at the shop and then they're going to be delivered in a couple of days. So anyway, so that's kind of my, uh, my, my, you know, I guess completing my, uh, my, my track riding equipment for the coming year or two.
But so I guess what I was curious to get some feedback on for anyone who who wants to comment is, you know, what what degree of trouble do you go to to, you know, color coordinate or pattern match, you know, your motorcycle with your helmet and, and your other gear? You know, is that something important to you or not important to you? You know, shoot an email to so you want to ride at yahoo.com. Let me know. Just kind of curious to see uh, what, what other people out there are doing. So now to get into the main part of the episode. So, um. Yeah, so Daytona Slingshot Week and hashtag Ride It Out. So let me kind of intro this whole thing. Um, yeah, so for me at least, you know, I, I know when it comes to COVID-19 and the coronavirus and like everybody's talking about it and it's all over the media and there's even new podcasts popping up, you know, ab- about this whole pandemic and whatever. Um, for me, even though I'd heard about stuff right back in January, we were hearing things and whatever. Um, it all kind of became real, I guess, uh, about mid-March. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting, right? So I think I mentioned on past episodes that uh, w- whenever the exact dates, it was like middle of March, Gene and I had tickets to go to see the Daytona 200 and uh, also American Flat Track uh, was having the TT, the first race of their season down at Daytona. And that's all in combination with Daytona Bike Week. So at the the last weekend of Daytona Bike Week, we're going to be these two races at the Daytona International Speedway. So anyway, I was all excited about this, uh, you know, gotten my tickets, you know, sometime in advance. And I think it was back in December where I kind of was like, yeah, let me go do this thing. Because, you know, as you guys know, Kyle Wyman has been a guest on my uh, podcast. And and uh, we saw him at the International Motorcycle Show in New York City back in December. And I don't know, we just got to chatting a little bit. And, uh, you know, he won the Daytona 200 in 2019. And we were just chatting here and there. And I was like, wow, that's right. Yeah, the Daytona's coming up. I've, I've never seen that track. I've, I've never seen the race. Uh, actually, I don't even know if I've ever watched it on TV. But certainly never seen it live. So I was like, yeah, let me go check this thing out. Um, and also, interestingly, um, you know, when, when I met the guys at Heroic Racing, uh, Todd and Al Gilbo, um, at, at the booth that they had at the, the Javits Center, International Motorcycle Show, uh, I was talking with Al quite a bit because he was the one kind of helping me pick out the gloves that I ended up buying. And um, I don't know if we talked specifically about Daytona. Maybe we did, actually, because I think he had mentioned something about, hey, you know, if you guys come down, like, let us know. You could come hang out or whatever. So that kind of stuck in the back of my head. So at any rate, um, it was all kind of really interesting because, you know, I was really excited to do this thing. And it was just like the week before um, the Daytona 200 that you started to hear things about uh, events closing, at least as far as what I was following, maybe it was sooner than that. But it was sort of starting to come to a head, like with different kind of sporting events being uh, rescheduled, postponed, canceled, that kind of thing. And so, obviously, we knew there was a chance something was going to happen with the Daytona 200. And um, I'm trying to think, actually, on the on Friday, right, because I had tried, I, I was trying to see, a, a little bit before, I had tried to see if I could get media passes, you know, pit passes and photo passes for the Daytona 200. So I'd been in communication with the people at Daytona International Speedway, and unfortunately, you know, they were like, no, sorry, you know, we just get so much media attention and whatever that we, we don't allow like kind of smaller media outlets like 
you know, bloggers or video loggers or podcasts or whatever, like we don't give media credentials. You know, it's it's basically they're just interested in mainline. I guess if you have, you know, an established radio network, a TV show, you know, television network or, you know, and, and it could be obviously an Internet based thing, but something like with a real big presence, you know, like roadracingworld.com or I guess, you know, cycle news or whatever it happens to be. So that was kind of a no go. Um, so I tried a couple other avenues. I thought it'd just be really cool. You know, I love Moto America being able to get out on the track, you know, with a photo pass and, you know, being able to get really good photos and stuff. And, you know, it's nice to be able to get pit access and be able to walk the pit lane and see everything that's going on. And especially just for the podcast, it's just nice to be able to report firsthand, you know, what you can see that way. But anyway, so that, that wasn't working out, but then I was like, well, you know, I remembered, uh, you know, meeting, meeting Al and talking with him a little bit. And so, Actually, I, I didn't know this at the time until a couple of days getting into this whole thing. Um, but his son, Alex Gilbo, actually is a racer and he was racing at the Daytona 200. So I was, I was in calm with them and I was like, hey, guys, you know, we're trying to I'm trying to figure this out. If I could even if I can't get media passes and photo passes, if I could at least get pit access. And so what was really cool was that we kind of had it worked out that they were like, hey, you know, why don't you guys come down just as part of our you know, pit pit crew, pit team or whatever. Um, you know, here's what you do. Talk to these people. You should be able to get pit passes, no problem. So I was like even more pumped. So I think it was Friday. It was either Thursday. Maybe it was Friday. I guess it was Friday because we were, Gene and I were going to fly out from uh, JFK in New York City here Friday evening to go down because the race was on Saturday. Both races were on Saturday. So uh, we kind of just back and forth with uh, with Al and with his son Alex and what's going on and, and whatever. Um, and I was kind of concerned. I was like, well, I don't know, with all this virus stuff and they're starting to lock things down a little bit. Cause, right, because that, that was what had happened was the announcement had come out. Well, actually, no, it wasn't until later that day. But so I was thinking about this whole thing about getting access to the pits. I'm like, you know, I know like whatever, they're getting a little stricter about things. You know, if we don't have exact credentials and if people don't know us, are they going to let Gina and I in as part of the, you know, the, the pit crew or whatever? So I was like, I, I don't know. Is it worth flying down if we don't get to get in? And then it was coming up that um, I'm trying to think now. I, I don't remember the exact sequence. It's like a month ago, right? So I'm straining straining the brain here trying to remember. But um, at some point it was announced that, well, it was not good. Maybe that's what it was. It was earlier on Friday. It was announced that they were going to run the race, but without spectators. And so that was another reason this whole thing came up. It's like, oh, man. So I had the tickets. It's like we can't watch the spectators. But then there's this opportunity, aside from just being cool to be in the pits, hey, maybe that would be a way to actually be there during the race. And so that's when I was like, well, I don't know, you know, how strict are they going to be? But it sounded like, no, that that was going to work out, um, that, that we could probably just be hanging out in the pits. You know, I don't know that we would have been able to help out much, but certainly I would have been willing to help out with whatever. But we could have just kind of hung out with the race team and seen the race and whatever. And by the way, actually, I'm going to have the Gilbos on the podcast. That's, uh, again, on my, uh, my my long list of people to have on the show. But so that'll be really cool. But at any rate, so... um come four o'clock or four thirty, I then found out that there was a meeting with the drivers and, and mind you, like, right. All the crews were there because they'd been, I don't think they were there the whole week, but you know, teams, I guess, showed up a couple of days, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that, right. Get set up and get the bike set up. And so they, I guess Friday was practice and qualifying, but later in the afternoon, 
there was some qualifying and stuff. And then if I'm, if I remember correctly, the activities were shut down a little early for some reason. I don't remember if there was a, a crash or something like that. But it ended up they had a driver's meeting, and it was announced that we're, we're canceling the race. We're not going to even hold the race. All right. So then it's like, wow. So Gene and I are all pumped up. You know, we've got airline tickets. We've got hotel reservations, non-refundable, and all this kind of stuff down in uh, – actually, I could only get a hotel in Orlando, which is like a – I think it's an hour and a half, two-hour drive from Daytona because at the time, right, everyone's at Daytona for Daytona Bike Week, and everything's booked up. So when we finally decided to make the arrangements, that was – the only place I could find, well, let's let's put affordable hotels, right? We didn't want to spend four or five hundred dollars a night, <clears throat> so we ended up in Orlando. So fly to Orlando, get a rental car, stay there. We're going to stay there Friday, Saturday night, and then drive back and forth to to the racetrack at Daytona. Anyway, so that was kind of shot out the window. So you know, Gene and I talked about, it and it's like, well, you know, is it not the right thing to do to fly in a plane with what's going on and things are being shut down and. You know, it was just like kind of back and forth. And then we're like, I don't know. I, I guess it was kind of like, well, you know, the money's been spent and everything's arranged. You know, maybe we're okay. We'll just take whatever precautions we can. And so we decided, okay, we'll, we'll go down to Daytona and just kind of whatever. Just go down and, and, and see what we can of Daytona Bike Week if it was even still going on. And if not, it's like, well, Daytona Beach is right there. So what the heck, you know, it was, no matter what, we could find some good things to do. I think we already knew that like in Orlando area, Disney had shut down most of the park, so we knew that that wasn't an option. But anyway, it was just a chance to, to get away for a weekend and, and just see what we could do down there. So uh, so the flight, everything was fine with the flight, went off, no hitches or whatever. Um, maybe it left a little later than u- usual, but that had nothing to do with the, the virus kind of stuff. Uh, it was packed flight, you know, tons of people flying down. And then when we came back Sunday uh, afternoon, evening, it was also packed, I will say. Um so, yeah, so we ended up uh, going down. Fortunately, you know, Gina had suggested, she's like, hey, uh, so I'm trying to think now. I think we stayed, yeah, so Friday night, so we flew in. It was pretty late. We didn't get the rental car till like 1230 in the morning, Saturday morning. So we stayed at the hotel we had reserved in Orlando. Uh, but Gina's like, well, with everything going on, you know, the race is off and people are probably leaving. Maybe there's a chance we could get a hotel, you know, closer to the beach. So that worked out great. So we actually, fortunately, the hotel, we worked it out. They were willing, even though we were reserved for two nights, they were willing to for, you know, forget about the second night. They didn't charge us for it. We checked out Friday, uh, Saturday morning, and uh, we had found a really nice hotel on the beach. I think it was the Best Western uh, in Daytona, Daytona Beach area, like, I don't know, a 10-minute drive, not even from Main Street, which is where, you know, quote-unquote, Daytona Bike Week happens. So all right, so that worked out really cool. It was on you know on the beach, uh, you know I think sixth floor or something like that, balcony, nice view of everything. So that worked out really cool. So I'm glad she suggested that. And then we got a little bit of a chance to experience Daytona Bike Week. Um, now I'll get to a minute why I call it Daytona Slingshot Week. We'll get to that, but uh, it was kind of cool. Neither she or I had ever gone for Bike Week, and it's kind of interesting. I have to admit the thought never particularly appealed to me. Like like of all the major events that happen every year, you know, Daytona Bike Week and the Sturgis and all these different things, um, you know, like there's the Vintage Festival down at Barber. There's a lot of big motorcycle events that happen every year. You know, I'll admit Daytona Bike Week wasn't one that really stood out for me. I'm not like, I've never been like a huge party person. And especially as I get older, it's whatever. It's just not a thing for me anymore. Um, so it's like, I don't know, all they're just hanging out and drinking and whatever. It's, that's not me. It's like, I want to, 
you know, yeah, I want to go see motorcycles. I want to see cool motorcycles. I want to ride motorcycles, that kind of thing. But so I, I didn't, you know, quite know what to expect. But I will say I, I'm glad that we went. Um, I'd imagine the crowds were a little bit less. Um, one, because it was the end of bike week, right? So not everybody necessarily can come for both weekends or not ever necessarily everybody stayed. Some people might have rolled out because of everything going on with the virus stuff. Um, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, we, we did the, the, the Main Street thing on Saturday, uh, had a nice dinner Saturday night, and then Sunday we just took an opportunity to kind of drive around and see some some parts of Daytona and whatever while we were there before we went to the airport to head home. Uh, I think as of Sunday, things were kind of shutting down. Like they were kind of ending Daytona Bike Week early. Um but anyway, so the the point is, it was actually a lot of fun. Now, in retrospect, like knowing what we know now about the pandemic and how it spread and what's being done with social distancing, and now everyone's got to wear a mask, at least in New York State, right? It's like, if you, if you can't social distance by at least six feet, like everyone's got to have a mask with them, not a mask, but some kind of face covering. And uh, if you can't maintain a safe social distance wherever you are, you know, jogging or in a park or at a store, then you've got to, you know, put up your mask, whatever kind of cloth or scarf or whatever that you have. So anyway, given all that, you know, where things have come to now, maybe going down there and hanging out with all those people at Bike Week wasn't the smartest thing to do. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? The the 60-foot wide rearview mirror, it's always easy to look back and say, you know, what you should or shouldn't have done. Overall, I mean, you know, Gene and I are fine. As far as I know, you know, I don't – we have no reason to think we were sick or we were spreading the virus. Knock on wood, hopefully, right? Uh, neither of us have gotten sick or anything. So I, I think, you know, whatever. So maybe it all worked out for the best. Um, but I will say it was – if it wasn't for how this all developed, we probably wouldn't have seen Daytona Bike Week and I wouldn't have an idea of what it was all about. So my overall impression uh, was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Gina enjoyed it. I don't know that I would have wanted to, you know, like do the Main Street thing for more than a day. I'm guessing there's people, you know, they're there for the week and they're probably on Main Street, you know, you know, not the whole day, but parts of the day, every day that they're there. Um, but anyway, because all kinds of things to do, you know, there's organized rides and stuff's off Main Street, you know, all kinds of activities and bands and, and whatever. But uh, let me just quickly pull up the photos I have on my phone. It'll just kind of jog the memory a little bit and I can just talk a little bit about the experience a little bit better. So, yeah, so so actually the first photo I have of me on the phone, do you know how take taken this? taking this photo uh was me sitting on a triumph rocket three uh which actually this really nice red color beautiful bike so um yeah so this gives me an opportunity to give a shout out to to fred a fred i won't give your last name because i didn't get your permission sometimes people don't want their last names read on the podcast but uh fred is a listener of the throttle podcast i think that's kind of how he came to find my podcast and I, i know he's listened to some of my episodes so it was really cool to get a chance to meet him uh he actually has a a condo down down in daytona and then he lives out west colorado if i'm not mistaken uh but he knows a lot of guys at this uh this bike shop uh he and i met up actually gina he and i met at uh, euro cycles of daytona so it's a motorcycle dealership they sell like triumph bmw you can go check out their website i'll, I'll put a link on the uh put the link in the podcast notes but uh, all right so it's cool to get a chance to meet up with fred um he was down there, I guess, at least for part of uh, Daytona Bike Week. And, and like I said, he knows a lot of people at the dealership. So he hangs out there quite a bit when he's uh, in Daytona. But uh, so that was kind of cool. So um, 
I, I, there might have been other manufacturers doing demo rides, but Triumph had their truck there at this dealership, and uh, so they were, they, were, they were doing demos of various Triumph bikes, mostly Rocket 3s. Um, evidently, they're not having much trouble um, selling their other models and stuff. I guess maybe the Rocket 3s are not moving as fast as they'd like, so they had, like, at least watching the demo rides, like first of all, most of the bikes for demo were the Rocket 3. They did have a couple other models, uh, but there's a bunch of Rocket 3s, and that's mostly what people were going out on. So I guess they're trying to get people to ride these things and see. Um, it's a really cool bike. I would have loved to do a demo myself, but I didn't have any gear with me, and they didn't have anything to loan me. Um, and yeah, I could have tried to borrow it, but it just wasn't kind of worth it. And by the time we got there, they were kind of <clears throat> wrapping up for the day. But um yeah, so anyway, so Fred, that was kind of cool getting to meet and hang out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then from from there, we Gene uh, and I just drove up uh, to the Main Street area, which is uh, the road that goes, I guess it's basically east-west between the the ocean side, you know, Daytona Beach, and then inland is a, whatever you call it, causeway or waterway, uh, right, because Daytona Beach is separated from the mainland. Um, <clears throat> finding parking was a bit of a hassle, but we did eventually find a lot. I think, I think we paid $40 for the time we were there, which is to me is kind of crazy. Like it was just a dirt parking lot. And it was one of these, like once you're in, you can't leave, you know? So if you came, if you left and came back, it'd be another 40 bucks, but at least we found a place to park and it was just a quick walk over to main street. So that was kind of cool. Um, we we did go out on the pier on the Daytona Beach Pier, which actually was kind of cool. At the end of the pier, there's a Joe's Crab Shack, so we actually had lunch there. Um, and then uh, after eating lunch, Joe's Crab Shack. Uh, bear with me. Yeah. So there. Okay. So then uh, we walked over to Main Street. Um, you know, and I don't know exactly how long it is. I guess like the kind of the stretch that people parade their motorcycles. I don't know, it's a mile maybe. I'm not exactly sure. It's it's a bunch of blocks, but it, it it's a good distance. Um so I've actually got some videos and stuff like that. But as you'd expect, you know, there's every flavor of motorcycle there. Lots of cruisers, of course, and uh you know, big wheel cruisers and stuff like that. But you know, it's 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 pretty cool. You know, both sides of the street are more or less lined with restaurants and bars and gift shops and t shirt t shirts shops and all that kind of stuff. Those of you that have been there, I know that you know all this kind of stuff, but for people who haven't gone or are thinking about maybe going, and then for the most part, both sides of the street, you know, are just lined with motorcycles, you know, people just back in their motorcycles. And then I guess pretty much throughout the day, there's just a constant stream of motorcycles. You know, they close the street off, the police close the street off to car traffic, and it's just, you know, this constant stream of motorcycles going both directions on Main Street. So you get to see everything. So we actually were there later in the afternoon. So it's kind of cool because, you know, we were there as the sun was setting and then uh, there into the, the, the nighttime a little bit, you know, so then you see the bikes lit up and all that kind of stuff. So like I said, lots of lots of big wheel baggers, uh, you know, a lot of cruiser type bikes. I'm just looking here, like, like a lot of bikes with fairings. But, uh, you know, like here is a, what is this actually? This is, oh, MV Augusta, you know, you, you had your share of sport bikes. Um, a lot of custom bikes. Um, if you go check out my Instagram page, I think I put some on Facebook too, but check out, uh, my, so you want to ride Instagram page. You'll see a lot of the, we'll see all of the photos that I posted there. It's a lot of cool customs and stuff. Some like kind of rat bikes, you know, kind of style where it's just like an assembly of stuff, but they're still cool looking. And then some really, really cool paint jobs and stuff. Here's one with kind of the, uh, it's a big wheel bagger, but with like all white with the exception of like the red the red blue stripe and the white stars are kind of the uh, evil Knievel design. 
um, Harley, you know, Harley custom thing. Um, Indian had a really big display there. By the time we got there, you know, you couldn't like tour it or anything, which actually I don't know the way it was set up. Probably you couldn't anyway. Um, it was kind of cool though. What they had was basically it's like, uh, four shipping containers, two on either side of a bit of a, I don't know, kind of like a, not a bridge, but kind of like an, an ironwork thing. So they had this big Indian logo. It looks like it's maybe 30 feet across, but I'd say 15 feet high, like kind of on this raised metal uh, trellis or whatever. And then to either side is two like shipping containers stacked on top of each other with motorcycles. So like each of those containers had like four motorcycles. So you had eight on either side and then a motorcycle on top of the stack of the containers, which is really cool. And anyone who knows the, the barber, um, the barber museum down at barber motorsports park, um, you know, I've commented, it's kind of cool how they have, you know, it's a multi-floor museum. I think it's four or five floors and there are parts of the museum where it's, it's open from the ground floor up to the ceiling. And they've got like these, uh, basically kind of like big shelving units where you just see motorcycles stacked, you know, floor to ceiling. It just reminds me of like being a kid with the matchbox cars and you had like the little trays and you put all the cars or motorcycles in there. Anyway, so I thought that was really cool what Indian did. You know, they had all their different bikes on display. Uh, what do we got here? A, a gold wing and like this kind of really bright neon orange kind of color. Uh, here's a bike with some cool green pinstriping. Uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Someone had a, a Harley bagger. Um, and so it said that the the left the left bag you know side side case says my shit and then the right one looking from back says her shit and then the top case says more her shit so uh, obviously it's a dude's bike <laughs> but I thought that was kind of funny um, obviously women would have their own take on this kind of thing if they were uh, putting stuff on their bike uh, but anyway uh, see another custom some really funky customs like here's one with these really I don't even if you know if you could call them apes. They're like this dark red painted. I mean, these bars go up almost three feet, you know, from the, the what you call it, from the triple clamp or whatever, the, the mount right at the top of the the, uh, the turning stem, uh, kind of this lightning bolt pattern, and they go up about three feet. So uh, it looks interesting. I mean, it's, it, it's definitely not my style, but it's kind of cool looking. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Oh, that was... Um, quite a few spiders and so so i guess that gets me to why i called it daytona slingshot week um so and this is nothing against slingshots right you know people know from podcasts i've been on and my own podcast you know whatever you got a slingshot cool do i think it's a motorcycle no i don't you know it definitely has a steering wheel i think they're interesting looking vehicles you know uh spiders yeah you know you can kind of think of them more as a motor now they're still not motorcycles right but they're more in that class of vehicle it's basically a reverse trike so okay cool and that's the thing too there were lots of trikes custom trikes but you know quite a few spiders customized um but later in the evening more in the evening is when the slingshots came out and i guess i'll, I'll get to that a little bit more in a minute but uh i don't know here's like a really cool kind of uh bagger with these custom I think they're custom bags that kind of stick out from the rear wheel, like two feet or something, but obviously a lot of storage there. Uh, Hayabusa, of course. You know, you had all kinds of customized Hayabusas. There's the Indian display. Uh, some more custom sport bikes. You know, a lot of sport bikes parading up and down. And, of course, like here's one with the, uh, uh, what do you call it? It's not uh, Stormtrooper, but, you know, a Star Trek, not Star Trek, Star Wars-themed helmet, you know, all matching, like color matching to the bike, like everything's white and gold and whatever. So some really cool-looking bikes. Um, 
one guy, you know, had a helmet with the uh, the predator kind of look with the whatever that is, like the kind of, I don't know what it's supposed to be, electronic dreadlocks or whatever hanging off the back of the helmet. Um, yeah, so like like I said, it was really cool. Here's a bike with a Jim Beam paint job. So it's like the, the tank and frame and everything is kind of painted with like this wood grain wood grain and then it's like all you know heavy glossed over so that's really cool looking here's one was kind of copper themed with like this brushed copper on the tank and on the fenders and whatnot obviously you can't see these pictures but and then uh, there was like these little scooters like stretched out with like extended uh, swing arms you know kind of drag scooters that was kind of interesting but uh yeah so that that was kind of so it was good so you know we hung out for a couple hours we got a chance to see main street you know we just kind of found a place we could sit at the side of the road you know, just as it was getting darker to kind of see the parade. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a ton, ton of slingshots. In fact, I'm getting to the night photos now. Um, you know, they'd show up like, you know, six, eight, ten at a time or something, just kind of in a, a long parade. And, I mean, the guy, these guys really trick these things out. You know, they got all kinds of lighting on them, you know, in the wheels and underneath. And, you know, some of them have uh, covers over the cockpit and some don't. And, you know, they've got like uh, spotlights and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know some kind of cool stuff, but, uh, so like I said, I got nothing against slingshots, but it is Daytona bike week. So, you know, I, I guess down in Florida, Daytona, and, you know, I guess in part because it's kind of part of the whole custom scene, you know, like people do, some people do heavily customize these things. So, and, and I'm guessing there are companies that, you know, make custom parts and do servicing on motorcycles that also handle slingshots. Like I know the, uh, the Indian dealer where Gina bought her, uh, her scout 60 you know they sell slingshots and stuff so yeah so i kind of get it so nothing against it but it was kind of interesting just to see the number of them that were out there so that's why i thought maybe we could just change the name to daytona slingshot week all right so on to hashtag ride it out so actually this is kind of a good opportunity i mentioned this i think earlier in the podcast so my plan had been i was signed up to do california superbike school the two-day camp coming up in may and in fact it was Leading up to that, it was one of the reasons I started picking up the pace on shopping for uh, for race boots. You know, because like I said, I wanted to have everything: helmet, gloves, and uh, and boots. I'm totally fine. You know, even though from the hygienics viewpoint and whatever, maybe borrowing a leather race suit is the worst of the things you could borrow. But that's a big investment, and I haven't decided yet. You know, there's, there's so many choices with that, and I haven't decided what I want to spend. And you know, I think I probably would just go off off the rack, but there is the opportunity to get a custom suit. It's not necessarily that much more expensive, but that's the kind of thing I want to do more research. And until I'm really going to the track on a regular basis doing track days, I don't think it warrants the investment. So California Superbike School, part of the two-day camp package, you know, all the gears included. The only thing I'll be using is uh, the suit that they provide. And then um, I'm guessing they also provide like a back protector, possibly chest protector. So anyway, so that's kind of why I was like, okay, good. Let me let me step it up a little bit and get boots. So I have everything for middle of May, which is you know month away coming up. Unfortunately, a couple of days ago, and I'm not too surprised with this, I got an email from them saying, hey, you know, given everything going on with COVID nineteen, uh, we we have to cancel the track days. You know, coming up in May at New Jersey Motorsports Park. You know, what do you want to do? Do you want to reschedule? Do you want to refund or whatever? So fortunately, they're going to be there again in August, mid-August. So the, yeah, so they, they still had slots open. So I just uh, rescheduled. So I'm going to do California Superbike School in August, which is now going to be interesting because 
assuming that this, you know, they're talking about starting to loosen things up. Maybe we get a little back to normal regarding the whole virus thing. Um, so hopefully things starts to open up enough where now it's going to be some time between like now or let's say, let's say things get a little bit more back to normal in June or something like that. You know, June, July, a couple of weeks, of August before California Superbike School. So now I'm actually looking, maybe I will try to do something else before then, some kind of track day. Uh, different possibilities, and again, depending on what's open and available, but Yamaha Champions Racing School, uh, they operate out of New Jersey Motorsports Park, so that's a possibility. Uh, I know some people who ride up at uh, New York Safety Track, upstate New York, so that's a possibility. So we'll have to see. I Honestly, even though I was kind of thinking it would be better to do California Superbike School first and really get some training on my under my belt before I went and you know just... To track days, you know, granted, you can find coaches and people to help you out, but I was like, let me get some real training first. Um, but with that much time, yeah, maybe I will find a way to get out on the track and, and try some stuff. So we'll have to see. But anyway, so like I said, with the exception of a, of a leather race suit, you know, I've got all the gear that I need. And uh, I'm pretty sure any any track day organization that I would go with, there'd be some option to rent a suit or something like that. So, all right, so that's California Superbike School. So that's a bit of a bummer, but, you know, I understand, you know, that's certain things out of their control. So uh, hashtag ride it out. So I already talked a little bit about this, you know, just in the whole thing surrounding Daytona 200 and, you know, Gene and I and going down to uh, Daytona Bike Week. Um, and this is something we talked about a couple episodes ago on Throttled. You know, is this idea, and, you know, some people have been promoting this hashtag, you know, ride it out. The idea being, you know, Riding motorcycles, as we know, there's some risk involved and it can be a dangerous thing. And given the nature of the pandemic and the strain on the hospital system, yeah, it, you know, and, and, and I agree with this viewpoint. It, it would be pretty sucky, right? If, you know, let's say I'm out riding and I get myself into trouble and I need to go to the hospital, whether, you know, emergency or whatever. And now, you know, because of that, taking a better bed and equipment and personnel away from someone suffering from, you know, from the virus. So that, that definitely kind of hits home. And, and then also, but to a lesser degree, the thing about, well, okay, now, you know, you end up in a hospital that's, you know, handling COVID patients, and then you end up, you know, more likelihood getting exposed to it. Um, so anyway, so like I said, I, I don't disagree with that stuff. Um you know, you'll you'll see, you know, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you'll see all kinds of opinions about this kind of stuff. There's definitely people out there riding. I have ridden somewhat. Gene and I have ridden a little bit. I have not done nearly the amount of riding I would like to do or I could. And in fact, you know, when I had mentioned that with this whole virus thing, I was going to be actually I think I posted on Facebook that I was going to be working from home, you know, because my the company I do consulting work for had already, before it was a requirement in New York, um, had already started to phase it out because we're already set up to work remotely on occasion. But they started to ramp up so that, you know, em whatever employees were not or, you know, workers were not needed in the office could work remotely. It was something they just had started to implement on their own. And then it was just as well because it ended up, you know, in New York State, you know, Governor Cuomo was like, nope, we're going to do this, you know, this thing where non-essential workers have to work from home. Uh, anyway, so I had mentioned when this first came up that, oh, you know, this is giving me more opportunity to ride the motorcycle. So like I said, because of kind of the philosophy behind ride it out, I'm like, okay, I don't need to go crazy with the whole riding thing, but I have ridden a little bit. And I will say, you know, I got out, it was two weekends ago or last weekend, I forget exactly, uh, for a couple hours last weekend. Um, and I will say it, 
it was much, much needed. You know, I've talked on past episodes how therapeutic motorcycle riding can be, particularly for me. I think other people find it the same. There's something about just being able to get out in the fresh air, get some space, you know, move, get some motion, look around, what's going on, you know, just find a feel, feel a little more connected to the environment is nice after being kind of cooped up in the house. Um, you know, it's not you can't go outside, but it's just different. And it's interesting because there have been times in my career where I worked from a home office like all the time, but somehow I don't know why because mentally it's just different when you have to work from home. Like it's not by choice. It's like you're being told this is what you have to do. It makes sense. I get the reasoning. But anyway, like I said, it, it was nice. It was really, I really needed it. It was like a good mental health ride to just get out. I felt really refreshed when I came back. Uh, you know, it was just a nice leisurely ride, not doing anything crazy. I'm not dragging knee or anything, you know, minimizing the risk as much as possible. But so anyway, um, you know, I probably will continue to ride here and there, particularly as things ease up, you know, um, unless the governor says, you know, no riding motorcycles, it's against the law. You know, I probably will continue that somewhat. Let, let me know. Let me know what you're doing. You know, send an email to say you want to ride at yahoo.com. Let me know your thoughts and opinions on this. Um, like I said, you know, I follow different people on Facebook and Instagram. Some people aren't riding, some people riding less, some people just riding as much. Uh, like I always talk about on the show, you know, I, I see that as a personal choice. If you're not infringing on someone else's rights and freedoms, um, you know, you got to make up, you know, take responsibility for yourself, kind of look at the big picture, you know, because it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about everybody, right? Look at the big picture and the pros and cons and weigh it out and you know, decide what makes the most sense for you. Uh, again, you know, just like as always, I advocate minimize the risk. Um, which actually interesting. It's it's kind of and we'll, maybe uh, John Del Vecchio and I will we'll talk about this when he's on the show. You know his corner and confidence course. I think and and I'll find out from him if this is his viewpoint on it. But a lot of what he talks about and teaches is kind of that. It's like how do you ride on the street, enjoy it, and minimize minimize the risk? Like what's the things that you can do? Um, you know, to minimize the risk when, when riding a motorcycle. So again, that'll be really cool when we uh, talk about that in the next episode. All right. So before I wrap up this episode, um, there is one thing I wanted to touch on briefly, and um, that's the, the topic of finding a helmet that fits you properly. And this is actually, I want to do a whole episode on this. And I was actually close to releasing that, but it's kind of interesting because I sat down, there's a lot of information I want to cover. And so I sat down and I did an outline and like, I'm just looking here, like this outline is 11 pages long. I mean, it's bullet points, right? But it's like 11 pages long. So it's kind of a lot of information in here. So I was like, wow, that's kind of a lot for someone, one, for me to put into a podcast episode and two, for someone to digest in one sitting. So I was like, you know what, maybe really... Um, what I should do is take this and turn it into a blog post. So I on my on my website for the podcast, I actually have the ability to to post you know blogs and things like that, articles. Haven't done it yet, and I was like, all right, well maybe this is an opportunity to do that. And I did start to put one together. I haven't made it public yet because I haven't finished it. Um, but I'm thinking that's kind of the way to go, you know. And then this way I can point people to it. If you're interested, you can look and just read in detail, you know, what I have to say there. Um, but I thought maybe I would just touch touch on it a little bit here. So just give me a second. Let me get my thoughts together. So, uh, yeah, so actually, as I was just finding the blog post, um, I just 
remind us every once in a while, I take a look at the podcast metrics for the podcast. And so interestingly, uh, to date, uh, since, uh, what is it, basically a year, that's, I guess, yeah, when did I start this? Back in March, I believe. So actually, hold on, let's let's see, when was the first episode? The first episode was uh, episode one, of course. Uh, okay, back in March. So it's about a little more than a year and a month since I started the uh, podcast. So this this is episode number 40 that you're listening to now. But uh, yeah, in terms of the metrics, so to date, I've got almost 37,000 downloads. So that's all, it's a little bit less than a th- on average 1,000 uh, downloads per episode, which I think is not too bad. It's, it's not as good as some of the really popular motorcycle podcasts that are out there. But anyway, so I just appreciate you know everyone who is listening and spreading the word. It's kind of cool to see that. I remember when I first started the podcast and you know I released the first couple episodes I think I'd started with two or three episodes before I officially launched and I remember like you know a couple of times a day going in going is anyone downloading is anyone finding this thing and you know just just a slow gradual ramp up you know 10 and 20 it was a big deal when it was like 50 downloads and 100 and whatever so anyway it's kind of cool so thank you to everyone who is uh involved in, in sharing and talking about the podcast. But um, so the, the title of the blog post that I'm putting together, and this is not public yet. Uh, like I said, I just need to kind of wrap it up. But the title is The Quest to Find a Helmet That Fits Properly. Um, and then I'm just going to read just the first little paragraph here as the intro. So I subtitled it there and back again. And I said, it seems like I've just come back from a trip down the rabbit hole. If you're a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, you'll remember that after Bilbo Baggins returns from his adventures and writes his memoir, he titles it something like There and Back Again. Well, I feel that applies here as I do feel like I've been on quite a journey or maybe better put a quest to find a helmet that fits me properly. My saga starts as follows, dot, 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 right? And then I go on into the whole thing. So, um... You know, like I said, I, I'll, I will wrap up this this uh, blog post. Um, probably will release it as a podcast episode. I was even thinking, I don't know, maybe this is kind of weird, but I might even use this blog post as the transcript and kind of just read it. So for someone that doesn't want to take the time to read it and you're listening in the car on your motorcycle, you know, you get the benefit of the material. So maybe I will do that. Let me know your thoughts on that. Um, but I'm just kind of just scanning through here just so I could hit kind of some of the highlights, right? So this whole thing about getting another helmet was about getting on the track and wanting, you know, better, not only better protection, but the best protection I could afford. Um, but the, the thing in, in this journey, right, that I discovered was, first of all, and, and you'll see this talked about in various places, that it turns out, and the statistic that's given varies depending on the source, but let's just say it seems likely that a high percentage of street riders are riding in helmets that are too big for them. Uh, and this really hit home, again, when I started shopping for a helmet with a proper fit, and after what I had read and... I think before buying the Arai helmet that I have, but after doing some helmet shopping and trying on helmets, you know, I have these two built helmets that I put on. And sure enough, these things, these, both of these helmets are too big for me. Um, and, and so mind you, like one of the things I've learned it was a, a tip in one of the videos I saw online, which I thought was really good in terms of finding a helmet that fits is, and let me even back up a second, right? The problem of helmet fit, I think largely, um, is one of head shape. And so, and again, I'm going to goes into detail in this blog post, but basically 
you know, if you do your research, you'll see that most manufacturers, they basically talk about three different head shapes. There's round oval, and the definition of what that is kind of varies, but my basic understanding is a round oval, your head, if you look at the top of your head, your head is pretty much as wide as it is deep front to back, like forehead to back of your head. I've seen places where it says a little wider than that, so that there seems to not be agreement on this point. Um, Then you've got intermediate oval, which is what the majority of people, at least in the U.S., that's the majority of head shape is intermediate oval, uh, which basically means, you know, your head is longer front to back than it is side to side, but it's more so than the last shape, which is long oval, where you're, you're pronouncedly side to side narrower than you are front to back. Okay, so my conclusion so far, and you know, again, I talk about in the blog post. It's hard, you know, it's hard to find. There is no exact definition of what these head shapes are. Like, no one says, you know, this percentage of width to this depth of head is this shape. It's like, you know, you can find diagrams and things, but the diagrams differ depending on the source, and it, it's just not. It's not consistent. There's variation depending on if you look at U.S. websites or European websites. And anyway, I've actually collected a bunch of good links, videos, and articles and things that will be in this blog post. And if I do the podcast in the episode notes. Um, But anyway, so suffice it to say, as best I can tell, and this may change as I gain more experience with helmets or whatever, my head shape is a long oval. And so it makes sense that the helmets that I have don't fit because looking at the Cycle Gear website, these two helmets are identified as intermediate oval. All right, so so here is the thing, basically, and the, the point I'm getting to is when you purchase a helmet, if you're not aware of your head shape or the person in the store, you know, if, if you're buying, like, from a brick-and-mortar store, right, if the person assisting you or even online, like with a chat, you know, Revzilla or something like that, if they don't bother to help you identify what your head shape is, um, when when you're trying on helmets, what happens is you, you know you're going to put helmets on you know different brands and different sizes until you find one that quote unquote fits you. Now, so imagine this. So here is the problem: if like like let's say in my case, right? So my head being somewhat significantly longer than it is wide, in order to get one of these built helmets, which is a different helmet shape to fit front to back. I end up with more space side on the sides than is appropriate for my head shape. So that's why when I take the chin bar of the helmet and rotate it left and right, it, it's not like I can rotate it around my head, but the helmet rotates quite a bit more than I would like. The other thing that was interesting is I initially, before I went with Arai, I was looking at a bunch of different brands. I was most interested in Bell, the Bell Star MIPS, because that's um, a technology where there's kind of a, a plane inside the helmet that moves independent of the out, outside shell, which is supposed to help with various types of uh, forces and things to help you know, mitigate injury and um, absorb energy. Uh, more recent, 6D has come out with their technology, which you, know, you can go to their website and, and study about it, and I'll have links in the blog post. Um, that's a different technology, but it's basically a shell within a shell where they've got these kind of polymer columns in between so that the outside of the, the shell of the helmet can rotate a little bit, move relative to the inside of the helmet that's against your head, 
right? So anyway, I was interested in those technologies because, again, I want the best protection I can get. You know, what's kind of the state of the art in protecting your noggin when it comes to motorcycle riding? Um, but when I was at the motorcycle show in New York in December, I started, actually. I tried on the Bell Star MIPS first, um, and I wasn't really quite happy with the fit. You know, I, I tried different sizes that were suitable, and, and none of them seemed to fit me right. I think... I had a, a medium was what was best, but there was like, I, I just felt pressure on my forehead, what they call like hot spots. And I'm like, what I've come to understand is if you put a helmet on and right away it's pressure points and it's uncomfortable, that that's a no go. It, it's not going to work. You, it's going to be uncomfortable for you when you're in it for a while. Um, and then, so I, and then I tried actually 60, 60 was not there, but the other helmet I was looking at was the showy RF 1200. Um, which also is a good helmet. But again, I put that one on, you know, and I remember that the salesperson asked me, so how does it fit? And I'm like, I don't know. It just feels like, I just feel pressure. It feels like it's too tight on my forehead. Um, so then when I went to the Arai booth to try on helmets, you know, talk to the guy there a little bit, it made sense to me because when I went to the show, I already had the idea maybe I was a long oval because I was already interested in the Arai. But I was like, before I just decide on Arai, let me try these other helmets and, you know, actually putting them on. I just came to the conclusion that no, these just, they just don't feel right for me. Um, so I went to the arrive booth and tried on the one that I ended up buying, which is the Signet X, which is the uh, long oval. And you know, the, the technician that was helping me, he kind of looked at me and he's like, yeah, it's like, that's why the others don't, they're uncomfortable because of your head shape. Right. So he put me in this helmet, which was a medium actually. And, and that's one of the things I want to get to too. And it's really interesting. It's one thing I'm not super happy with. Um, you know, this is an Arai technician supposedly trained to help people with helmet fit. Um, and so I ended up based on him helping me at the show and this was an Arai booth. So they weren't selling helmets, but they were like, Hey, we'll help you get a fit, find the right size. And then, uh, you know, you can go to one of the retailers like cycle gear was there revzilla was there you know or there was actually a smaller retailer that carried a ride where you could actually buy the helmet so anyway, based on his recommendation i went with a medium and i'll get to that in a second um but i was like okay just for kicks let me try the quantum x right because that's another option yes let me think all of the Arai helmets are intermediate oval with the exception of this, the Signet X, which I have, which is long oval, and the Quantum X, which is round oval. So I was like, just for kicks, let me try that and just see. And he's like, yeah, of course, you, know, you can try whatever you want. But he's like, I can tell you, you're not going to like it. And sure enough, you know, I put that helmet on and I felt squished front, front to back, right? Because this is now even wider, you know, like to, to, to get the right fit, let me think, um, to get not not too much space on the sides, right? It's squishing in front to back. So anyway, it just confirmed that I wasn't round oval. So I'm like, okay, basically the same helmet. Quantum X and the Signet X are basically the same helmet design, just slightly different shape. And and by the way, it seems like, as far as I know, Arai is it, it's at least one of the few or only major manufacturer that has helmets in the three different head shapes. Um, most other helmet manufacturers are intermediate oval, which explains why some people, you know, end up with an Arai and like the, the Quantum X. Um, okay, so let me just kind of go here. So one of the tricks with um, getting a helmet that fits properly, right, is ideally, right, the, the, so the whole point of a helmet is 
you have this hard outer shell, whatever that material is, and it varies. It's fiberglass, it can be carbon fiber, it can be plastic materials or whatever, depending on the, the price of the helmet and, and you know the quality and whatever. Um, but basically, there's this hard outer shell, right? Because the thing is, although our skulls are pretty tough and pretty good at protecting the brain from injury, if enough force, enough energy is applied, you know, you're hitting your head on the track or on the street or whatever it happens to be, there obviously, one, there's the possibility of fracturing your skull or cracking it open if it's really severe. And also, um, you know, just brain brain injury, right, from your head coming up against something and your skull stops before your brain does. And, you know, you can have very high G-forces, you know, very high impact because the skull does not fit, you know, there's fluid, right, or, around I'm oh, sorry this fluid around the brain inside the skull so there's a little bit of motion there and so you can end up with traumatic brain injury you know due to that energy transfer so you've got the hard outer shell of the helmet which absorbs some of the impact is a tougher surface it's probably tougher in some ways than your skull um, it also helps distribute the force over a larger area than just the point where the hit occurs. So you've got that layer of protection, and then you've got what they call the EPS foam, right? Some kind of kind of rigid foam material inside the helmet, right? Which is the liner between your actual head and the and the hard outer shell. Different materials are used, different technologies. You know, Arai makes a thing out of they have multi-density foam depending on the area of the helmet and whether they're protecting against low speed injury or high-speed injury. There's, there's lots and lots of technology in this stuff. But that's the basic concept. Now, in the ideal world, the helmet would be an extension of your head, right? It, it's like kind of just if, if anyone's familiar with uh, custom footbeds, like either for corrective shoes that pe some people wear or even in the skiing industry, this is a thing. Like when you buy ski boots, you can actually get a footbed that's custom-shaped, custom-formed to the shape of your foot, Right, So you get a perfect customized fit for you. Well, ideally, in an ideal world, you know, we would go to the motorcycle shop to buy a helmet. And just like you know, in dentistry, right, they do this too. They take molds of your mouth. Like if you're having a tooth replaced, you have like a, you know, you, you, whatever. Yeah, you're having a tooth replaced, like a false tooth or an implant or something like that. Or, you know, you're getting braces, right? They take a mold of your teeth to see what's going on. Even like when I went to get uh, a, a, a whitening kit, you know, to whiten whiten my teeth, you know, the dentist takes a mold uh, and then they make a tray that's in the exact shape of your teeth. Well, hey, wouldn't it be smart if we had the same thing for helmets, right? Because everybody's head's different shape. I mean, yes, there are these three basic shapes of head, but just think about the variety of shape in people's heads. You know, it's like foreheads are different angles, you know, you know, sloping sloping back more or more vertical you know foreheads are different heights different widths you know uh, even if someone has a round oval head it's not uniformly shaped our heads are not symmetrical right our bodies are really not symmetrical so if you think about it the chance that a helmet is going to fit properly like a helmet like one size not one size but like one design fits all right so you have brand a's helmet model x and this is a large this fits people with large heads and just think of the variety of different shapes of heads that that helmet has to fit um and and yes there are you know there's like uh, softer foams and things inside the helmets and liners and whatever to kind of help adjudicate that and get a better fit but really like ideally 
what you would have is you you know you go to the helmet shop and they would make an impression of your head like a mold of your head and then they would make a helmet right they would custom pour you know the EPS liner to fit your exact head shape and then that would go inside the hard outer shell and you'd have a perfectly fitting helmet and let's face it unless you're a kid that's not going to change much over time um like you even like you gain or lose weight i don't think your head you know, shape is going to change much, right? It's not like I don't think you ever get much fat deposits on the scalp or whatever. So anyway, so kind of where I'm going with this, and it's interesting, by the way, because I came across, it turns out that um, Shoei in Japan, and I haven't researched it much, but they actually have a service where they will custom fit helmets for your particular head. So I don't know what's involved. I don't know if those kind of helmets can be obtained in the U.S., but it's interesting that they're doing that. I hope other manufacturers do it. And, you know, maybe this is a thing that will become more and more common as time goes. But, but anyway, so the, the whole point is that that would be the ideal scene is to have a helmet that was really literally kind of an extension of our heads and there would be no unnecessary motion, movement or whatever. And if you're in a situation, you're in an accident and you need the protective properties of the helmet, it's not going to be moving around, twisting, turning or whatever. And you would have literally the best protection you could have from the materials in that particular helmet. But so here's the problem, right? So based on head shape and not just the general three head shapes, but all these other things, you have bumps on your head or deformities in your skull or whatever it happens to be. When we go to find a helmet, we put on a helmet and it's like, it's either like fits us nicely and comfortable or it doesn't. But the thing is, what's comfortable is not necessarily as safe as possible. And so I had mentioned before, I had seen mentioned in a video, it was kind of really interesting. This guy recommended, and I think this is assuming you've already narrowed down your head shape, so you're looking at the right category of helmet. But he's like, okay, put put on the different sizes of the helmet you're interested in until you find one that's comfortable, that you like, right? And then once you've done that, go one size smaller and see. And it is possible you'll go one size smaller and be like, ow, that hurts. It's just no good. Or you may find like what I found that that's actually the right fit. So it's interesting because the two helmets I have, the built helmets, and mind you, they're basically the same helmet. They're both modular helmets. There's a little bit difference in design of the shell. But when I bought these things, the first one I bought, the black one, is an extra large uh, and then the, the white one that I bought later is actually a medium, right? So get this. So it's more or less the same helmet design, and somehow I decided whatever. And I don't know, maybe as I got more experience riding and more experience with wearing gear, I was willing to have a quote-unquote you know, tighter-fitting helmet. But somehow, just in those helmets, I went from an extra large to a medium. I was fitted by the ride technician into a medium, but so... So then, yeah, I had actually at the show ordered the helmet from Cycle Gear. When I got the helmet and tried it on, I had get, maybe I had also done more research on helmet fit. I put the helmet on, strapped it, and then I'm like testing all these different things that I've learned about, you know, about taking the chin bar, how much can you rotate it left to right, um, putting your hand, you know, to the back of the helmet and seeing how far forward you can roll the helmet. Like, can you actually roll the helmet so that the top of the helmet you know, rolls below your eyebrows or covers your eyes. Uh, all these different things, you know, um, you know, you want to make sure that the, the chin strap sits in the proper place and it's not choking you or anything, right? Because depending on the attachment points of the helmet and whatever, and the size of your neck and all these different things. So when I put the helmet on, I found I honestly wasn't 
happy with the fit. Now, I had mentioned this to the Arai technician at the show. I was like, you know, it seems a little loose. And he's like, well, that's not a problem. You know, with Arai and other manufacturers, especially the, the higher end helmets, they all have different options, like replaceable pads inside the helmet. So Arai has all these different thicknesses, like a couple different choices for the helmet liner on top of the head, different thicknesses for the cheek pads. And then it, it's even interesting, the cheek pad itself in any of the given sizes, there's actually a, a layer of foam, like you take the cover off the cheek pad and there's a, a layer of foam that I'd say is maybe a quarter of the overall thickness of the cheek pad that you can remove. It's designed, it's like only tack glued in a couple spots so you can remove it without tearing it or damaging the, the rest of the cheek pad. You put the cover back on so that if it's just a little too tight, you can get a much better tailored fit. So that's kind of a nice feature. I know Arai does it. There may be others that do it as well. Also, some of the helmets in the helmet liner, you'll have a similar thing. But anyway, he said, what I'm going to do is like, since you're here at the show, he's like, I'm going to send you a, a set of thicker cheek pads for free um, and, and that will handle your problem. And I just kind of took his word at it. So I don't know. I went through this whole long thing. Like I said, you know, tried on the helmet stock the way it shipped. Um, I was not happy with how far I could do the roll test. If I grabbed the helmet from the back, you know, it, it would come down b below my eyebrow. It seemed like too much movement left to right, even after I put in the thicker cheek pads. And I even went to the trouble. I know I ordered a couple things. Um, and it's one of the things that's cool with cycle gears. It's like I ordered stuff online. They had everything in stock I needed. Got shipped to the house in a day or two. And then eventually I could just, I just went to this local store and just returned the stuff that I didn't want. So that's kind of a nice feature. Um, I don't have to pay for shipping and all that kind of stuff to send stuff back. But, um, so I, I ended up trying the thickest cheek pads I could get. Cause I actually ordered another set of cheek pads, the thickest, uh, helmet liner I could get. And it just was, it just, for me, it was still too loose. So I ended up ordering a small, now, mind you, you know, I'm six foot tall, I used to be 240 pounds. Now I'm 200 pounds. Um, I'm not a small guy, but somehow, I don't know, I jokingly think of having a pinhead. I don't know. I think I think there actually was a movie pinhead or something. Evidently, I have a small head because, um, you know, here's someone who was in an extra large and a medium helmet going from a technician recommended a rye medium to a small. Um, and for sure, when I put the small helmet on, it um, it's snug. Like it's it's not... It's not, I wouldn't say it's hard to get on, but it, there's resistance putting this thing on. But when it's on, like I feel kind of like what I was talking about before, this more ideal situation of something that really fits my head. Now, there is still some movement. I mean, no head is, no helmet is going to fit your head perfectly, uh, but there's nowhere near like that rotational left and right side to side or like roll off. Like now, if I try to roll it, it stops you know, before the helmet comes, you know, blocks my vision or like it won't go below my eyebrow level. I don't know. I, I'm not a helmet expert yet. Like I'm learning more as time goes. Um, I don't know. I, I just, you know, the, the fitting has got to be a personal thing. And it's interesting because like even Arai, like you watch the Arai videos, they'll tell you and other manufacturers too. It's like, look, Here's the guideline for getting a helmet that fits properly. We recommend, you know, you measure the circumference of your head to get your basic head size, judge the size of your head, pick a helmet that fits based on that, try on that helmet, um, you know, try different sizes, but ultimately, like, 
you have to decide what fits properly. You know, they'll provide the guidance, but you know, you know your head, you know how it fits, you know the comfort. So I ended up with this Arai small helmet. Um, it is difficult to get off, but on the on the other hand, like I'm like, well, okay, if I was in a situation where I crashed, what do I want? A helmet that like is easy to come off my head or a helmet that's difficult to come off my head? I, I'd rather have the latter. Um, I, I did a lot with this helmet, like, you know, before I decided to keep this and I returned the medium. Um, you know, multiple times I sat just in the house, either working at my desk or watching TV or something with the helmet on for at least an hour just to see if any hot spots developed. There was like a little bit of something going on, but fortunately, like I said, the, even the, the liner of the helmet has these little foam layers you can peel off because I was getting pressure around the temples. But once I took those little pads off left and right with the with the liner that I had, like I, I could sit for an, an hour or more and the helmet was comfortable. I would take it off. No red marks on the forehead, you know, signs of pressure points or anything like that. No aches or pains. Um, it, it was actually interesting because I was almost concerned the small was, was too small and too tight uh, until I removed those pads and then it was fine. And I've ridden in the helmet like for hours at a time and it is very comfortable. So... Long story short, to kind of wrap this thing up, and maybe I don't need to do the uh, the helmet episode because this kind of covers a lot of what I wanted to say. I think, um, but so so yeah. So the thing is, oh, so so right. So what I the point I wanted to make is, if because of your head shape or irregularities in your head, in a particular helmet brand and helmet model, you choose a helmet that is then got room in other ways you're not protecting yourself as best you can. And so um, for sure, wearing a helmet is better than no helmet. So even if you have a helmet that doesn't fit you perfectly, that's better than nothing. But my opinion and my recommendation to people just based on my own experience is, you know, if you really care about your protection, evaluate this, Um, you know, give some thought about the material I've talked about, um, you know, do some research online and, and really take a look, put your helmet on and really honestly evaluate how well is it fitting you? How much motion do you get? You know, again, side to side, roll forward, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and if there, if there is a problem, look at, look at buying a new helmet and if necessary, and for some people it won't be necessary, you know, based on their head shape and the nature of their head, they may be able to get into a less expensive helmet that doesn't need all these customization features. Well, awesome. You know, as long as it's a decently made helmet, because that's one of the things I've mentioned, helmet price doesn't necessarily directly correlate to safety level. Like you could have a $200 helmet that's well made and has as much crash protection as an eight or a thousand dollar helmet. But what you're going to get perhaps in the $800 or $1,000 helmet is all of these different features, you know, cooling and comfort and, you know, quietness. And, and more importantly, in a case like mine, the ability to customize, you know, that you can change the cheek pads, you can change the helmet liner and as much as possible, like tweak to get, you know, as perfect a fit as you can. So I think that's everything I wanted to say about helmet fit, um, finding a properly fitting helmet. I'll listen back to this episode and see if there's anything I left out. You know, maybe I will do a follow-up episode. And I think I definitely will make sure I I add to the title of this episode, Helmet Fit, so people know that that's also something I talk about here. But uh, again, I know I've got listeners of all different backgrounds and experience levels. So anything you want to share on this topic, you know, definitely hit me up, send an email to so you want to ride at yahoo.com, share your stories. Um, 
if if you do, you know, let me know if it's okay if I read what you write on on the air on the podcast. Uh, if so, also let me know, you know, how you want me to give your name. If we can give your whole name or just first name or initials or whatever, whatever you prefer is fine. But uh, definitely would like to start a dialogue on this because I think it is something important. It's something I've spent hours and hours researching. I honestly spent hours and hours trying on helmets and playing around and was this right and was it not. You know, finally, I came to a result that I'm happy with that when I get out on the track, you know, my head is as protected as it can be, at least at this price point. Uh, And that was another interesting thing. So this helmet normally, I think, lists for almost $800, $799 because it was a last year model. I got it for close to six. So it was really a good deal. So I've kind of looked out in that way. So between that and the boots, like I'm getting some top level gear, like racer level gear you know for for not super super expensive now i I know for some people six hundred dollars to spend on a helmet's a lot of money and i get that um you know don't don't think you have to buy a six hundred dollar helmet it's just i'm in a position where i can afford it and like i said i i want to i want to get the best protection that i can afford so that's kind of my thinking on the whole thing anyway so i hope uh, everyone has enjoyed this episode the next one coming up like i said is going to be with john del vecchio from street skills moto about cornering confidence um as always you know write in uh message me on instagram or facebook and let me know what you think about the content and uh, anything you'd like to see in the future or I should say, listen to in the future. Yeah, that's a little better. Okay. Or maybe see posted on my Facebook page. But all right, everyone, uh, hope you have a great weekend, and I will catch up with you in episode 41. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thumper Club, where I'll list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 